we're going to look at Hebrews today. If you have your Bible here today with you, turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with the 8th verse. Hebrews 11, verse 8. As you find your way to Hebrews 11, verse 8, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Hebrews 11, starting with verse 8, says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place with which he was received his inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and a multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they are called to mind that country from which they had come out, they could have returned with the opportunity there. But now they desire a better, that, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he had also received him in a figurative sense. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless our time together this morning. Father, I pray that every one of us, Father, would be able to leave the world behind for a few moments here, Father, the busyness and distractions of our life, Father, that we might have for these next few moments, Father, a singular purpose and a singular focus. Father, that's to have a genuine, real experience with you this morning. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would reveal yourself in your holy word. Father, we don't just want to read words. Father, we want revelation. Father, we pray right now that you'd speak in such a powerful way to each one of us, Father, that we would see our name written on these scriptures. Father, we thank you now once again for each person here, Father, and I know we all come, Father, with the different situations in our life right now. So, Father, I pray that we'd sense your abiding presence in a powerful way. But, Father, I also pray right now that you would speak to us in such a way, Father, that we would grow in just these few moments, Father, yet again in our faith. Lord, we thank you now once again for all these things in the precious, powerful, wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever stopped to think about how we can get God's approval on our life? You ever thought about what, is, what can I do in my life that pleases God? Can we get God's approval by being religious? Probably not. Can we get God's approval by going to church? Not in and of itself. Can we get God's approval by merely keeping the Ten Commandments? No. There's only one way that we can please God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You ever pondered that thought for a second? Really, just by my faith? Absolutely. Paul himself said, it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. 
We need to have the living, abiding faith inside of us that realizes that I'm nothing without him. And I place everything I have, both spiritually, physically, emotionally, materially, in Christ. Because that is the source of every good and perfect gift. You know, years ago, there was a movie that came out about the selection of those first Mercury 7 astronauts. You know, I don't know if you saw the movie a number of years ago, but it was a very grueling movie. It was about their testing of those guys, both physically, mentally, stamina-wise, psychologically. But they chose these guys because they were going to sit on the top of a rocket and be shot, shot into space. The movie was called The Right Stuff. It was very appropriate for the movie. Did they have the right stuff? They did. They passed the testing, and they became our first astronauts here in America. If we truly want to please God, if you and I truly desire to affirm him and who he is and that he might affirm us back for the way we're walking with him, we need the right stuff. What is the right stuff? Well, first on that list is that we have a genuine faith in the Almighty God. This, there's five Sundays counting this one until Christmas comes on the 25th of December. I want you and I to get transparent with each other for just a few moments this morning as we kind of think about this next month. If your life is like mine and like mine and my wife's have been for a number of years, this is a very busy season for us. You know, we can sit here thinking, well, we still got five weeks, whatever that is, 24 shopping days left or whatever that might be. But you know, we're going to blink our eyes and it'll be all over. It's a very, very busy time with getting together with friends and shopping and getting, making preparations for that precious day. If we truly desire not to want to miss God in this time period, we need to stop for just a second and figure out how we're going to do this. How am I going to enjoy Christmas this year in the right way? How am I going to have a Christmas this year and truly see God? How can I grow in my faith in this time? It seems to be such a hustle-bustle season. A lot of times, Jesus kind of just gets edged out on the side. A lot of times, I don't have time for Jesus Christ because I'm so busy doing things, and I'm doing good things. But I'm praying that as a family of God here at Beaverdam Baptist Church, as we go through this Christmas time, we're going to have an experience maybe like never before. But more than that, I want to have a very precious experience myself, and I want us all to have that experience with God this season. It's not all about buying things. It's not all about shopping and those kinds of things. I went out on Black Friday later on the day with Amy, and I couldn't believe the state of most of the shops we went into. <laughs> looked like a hurricane gone through. Everything stacked up, stacked on the floors and piles, and it was hard to find whatever it is. There's some great deals. We got a couple of deals shopping early for Christmas. But it just brought to mind again, once again, what Christmas sometimes becomes for us. Just a big mess. A big of all hurry, scurry, all these things there. As we observe the Advent this year, the coming of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask God for a couple of things. I just prayed it, but I want to ask God that he reveal himself in a new way to each and every one of us. That we'd see something new in his holy word, something new in Jesus Christ. That we'd have an experience that would just blow our mind this Christmas with God Almighty. I'm praying that every one of us would dig deeper into the grace of Jesus Christ. We'd spend that time and want to know Jesus in a greater way. What did it really mean that God in his infinite wisdom and out of his love and his mercy and grace for you and I sent his son into this world? What does that really mean? Do I really appreciate that? Do I really live with the thought that I believe that, I live my life on that, and I want to enjoy it, and I want to experience it in even greater ways day by day in my life? One of the greatest indicators that we're living the right life is that we're growing. And this season truly has an opportunity like very few others to grow in Jesus Christ in profound ways in exponential ways, to grow in my relationship with him. But what I just said a minute ago, because sometimes we get so busy, we miss that opportunity. 
Do I truly believe in Jesus Christ? Where is my faith? I'm praying this year that every one of us might establish a new normal for Christmas because we're going to slow things down a little bit and spend time with Jesus Christ. I read one of the great chapters in the Bible, the, 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 the chapter about faith. It's a history about the faith in Jesus Christ and God Almighty. We talked about Abraham and what a beautiful expression, what a beautiful illustration for you and I to understand faith. The Bible tells us that because of Abraham's faith, he was justified with God. He didn't have Jesus Christ in his life at that time. Jesus was here, but he wasn't made known. But he is living in heaven today because of his faith. He was justified by faith. We receive our heaven experience just like he did, but it's through Jesus Christ. It's having faith in Jesus Christ. But there are some ingredients to Adam and to Abraham's faith there that I want to look at this morning. There's three of them specifically. I'm going to look at Abraham's obedience. I'm going to look at Abraham's waiting. I want to look at Abraham's sacrifice. Those are the very same three things that need to be indicators in our faith. Am I walking in faith in God? Am I obeying God, first of all? Am I waiting upon the Lord? And finally, am I sacrificing anything for Jesus Christ? Am I sacrificing anything in my life? Do I have a faith that illustrates those three things? The life of faith begins with obedience. Look at verse 8 again, just a second, in chapter 11. Hebrews. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, and this is interesting, not knowing where he was going. God called Abraham to get up, to leave everything behind and follow him and go. You know what Abraham did? He did it. Left everything behind. Abraham had no idea about leaving. He wasn't making any plans about leaving, but God said, hey, I want you to get up and go. He said, okay. He obeyed God. Over and over in Abraham's life, we see him obeying God. Abraham was 75 years old at this time. Imagine that. 75 years old, and he said, okay, God, I'm leaving. I'm leaving everything behind. You know, one of the things in yours and my faith needs to be a point that I'm willing to obey to the point I'm willing to leave everything behind. If God's calling me and telling me to go, I'm willing to go. I'm going. If God's asking me to serve here, to serve there, if God's asking me to give my time or give my talents or give my things here to this, I'm willing to do it. Abraham was willing to obey God and give up every single thing. You know, the illustration here about obeying, that true faith calls for action. I can say all day long that I believe in God Almighty, that I believe in Jesus Christ, but where is the evidence in my life? Is there any action flowing from my belief? Is there any desire in my heart to make my, life, my faith come alive? James, in his book, great book of practical living in, in the Lord, says that faith without works is what? It's dead. You're right. Why do you and I have such a hard time obeying? You say, well, I don't have a hard time obeying. Well, I think we all struggle a little bit. Even the pastors do. I have the privilege of having a son that's a police officer. And I don't know if you've had this experience before, but have you ever been driving along on a road and all of a sudden you look up in the right-hand corner off the road, there's a police officer. What's the first thing you do? Look down at your speed limit. Kind of funny, isn't it? Why? <laughs> you know, because sometimes I'm not probably obligated or don't feel like I'm going the speed limit, so i got to make check, check it. I don't want to get caught. <clears throat> My son has shared with me sometimes, he said it's kind of a little bit ag aggravating, but he says uh, sometimes they come up behind somebody on a road, and they're doing a speed limit, but you know what they do? Slow down. 
He says, I get late. I'm late to the places I'm supposed to be going to. So many times because somebody's driving about 10 or 20 miles under the speed limit. I'm so desperate when the police officer behind me not to get caught that I could drop it down to about 10 or 20 miles below the speed limit. Maybe you've been driving on their state sometime and come up and everybody's kind of doing the speed limit. All of a sudden, everybody slows down. You wonder, what's happened? Maybe an accident up there. No, you realize there's a state trooper in the right-hand lane going the speed limit. So everybody slows down to go under the speed limit from him right there. I think in the essence of obedience, it's time for you and I to look down at the speed of the speedometer for a second again, maybe tap on our brakes and say, wait a minute, I want to readjust my movement to this world to line up closer to walking in obedience with God Almighty. I want God to be my guide. I want God to be the power of my ship. I want to walk in the overshadow on the wings of God Almighty to receive his blessings, but also to walk in such a way that I bring glory to him. I want the world to see that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, that I walk in obedience. Abraham left his family an incredible inheritance of faith. You and I have a life to live in this world. Are we making a difference with our life? Do people see us walking in obedience to Jesus Christ? Do people see something that's going to be left behind when we leave here? You may have noticed the message title this morning is, Will those who come behind me find us faithful? Will those who come behind us find us faithful? First and foremost, it brings to mind our, our family. Is our family going to see us faithful? I'd planned on preaching this message about a month ago, but going on this cruise and having the privilege to officiate at the service of my second child getting married, I had a lot of opportunity there to kind of reflect the days before and the days since about a legacy. First of all, I realized the incredible legacy that I have for my grandfather and his wife and my father and my mother. But also, I had a beautiful illustration of what it looks like to be a godly person. I had an illustration I was telling Amy yesterday, in fact, that I can remember going into a room where my grandfather was, and there was an incredible respect and reverence from my dad and his siblings towards my grandfather, their father. They had an incredible respect for him. Why? Because he was an incredibly godly man. I asked my dad one time, who's the godliest man you ever knew? He said, his dad. You know what I can say about my dad? Same thing. The legacy that we want to share, and you know, that it's been my desire to be that for my kids, and I, I didn't anywhere near the mark that my parents or my grandparents did. But I, the desire to live a life where my children realize that if I want to know what God thinks about someone, I can ask my father. If I want to know what it looks like to have a godly family, I can look at my family. If I want to realize that what God wants to do in our lives, I can look at my parents, and I can look at my grandparents and my great-grandparents and see that. You and I have been called out to walk in faith. And there's an incredible benefit for doing that. Benefit in our life, but also benefit for those that come behind us to see that there's something in my life here that's worth emulating. Is it obvious to others that I'm walking with God? Is it obvious to that? You know, well, you say, well, Pastor, what is there to walk in obedience? I want to give you one illustration. We find it in Matthew 18. You know where I'm going here, probably. Now, I'm sorry, Matthew 28. Verse 16, Jesus had just risen from the grave. And when he rose, the women came and, you know, they were looking for Jesus Christ. And Jesus told them, hey, tell the apostles and Peter too to meet me in Galilee. Jesus Christ was planning a men's conference in Galilee on the hilltop there. I want you to realize that this call that Jesus put upon his apostles to meet him at, at uh, the Sea of Galilee on that mountain right there by it, was the only time that Jesus Christ ever scheduled a meeting with anybody. 
It's the only time he ever scheduled a meeting. He says, tell them to meet me. There's a meeting in, in, in Galilee. Tell them to be there. Verse 16 of Matthew 28 says this, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. You know where this verse goes from there? Then Jesus Christ looked at his people, looked at his apostles there, and said, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ is declaring once again that he's God. All authority. God has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. You know what he's saying to his apostles? He's saying, I'm in charge. I'm in charge now. I'm no longer the Jesus who walked around here. I am God. I'm coming again. But he said, I got something to tell you here. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He gave his apostles a very direct command. The command there was to make disciples. But he also told them to go. He's saying, I need you to go. How important is this? Well, every single one of the four Gospels gives us the Great Commission. We also read about it in Acts 1.8, that you shall receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. God was telling his apostles, he's also telling you, listen, I need you to go. If you understand the English breakdown of that sentence there, it's as you go, everywhere you go, make disciples, everywhere we go. You know, it's just like that, watching our speed limit on the highway, God's looking to see what we're doing when we're out on the highway there. We're in the hedgerows and the highways. God wants to see what we're going to do with what we got for his glory. We have an incredible opportunity to make a difference in this world. Talking to somebody before church today about how scary it is out here in our world today. How confused people are. You know, I've told a number of people, my men's Bible studies, but I've also told a number of other people, you know what I'm afraid we're seeing right now in America? We're seeing a, an America without God. Just so mean-spirited, so brutal. People going crazy. But also, think about all the shooting in churches and all these things we're seeing. How about what happened in Egypt? It's just sad. It breaks your heart. God's waiting to see his people stand up and obey. God's waiting for you and I to get serious about spreading the greatest news the world's ever heard. You know, there's only one thing that's going to fix the problems in this world and this nation today. You know what it is? It's Jesus Christ. He's called you and I to obey. If we have faith, don't miss this thought this morning. If you and I have faith, we're going to walk in obedience. We're going to understand God's word. We're going to study his word. We're going to take all the things that we know he said out of, in the Bible here out of the optional category and put them into the mandatory column in our life. These are things I need to do. <clears throat> well, where do I start, Pastor? That might be a good one where I start today. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. There's so many other things, though. We struggle with these things big time. Why? Because we have a free will. I'm here to tell you, though, that we have a worthy opponent, the enemy himself. Satan doesn't want you to do that. Satan kind of likes the direction the world's heading right now. I've heard people say over the years, well, we know who wins the story. We know who wins the end of the story here. We sure do. But I think our mission should be to see how much we win by. We have an incredible opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and make a difference in people's lives. You've seen it. I've seen it. can't even begin to imagine how many people's lives have been radically transformed. They're heading to total destruction and devastation. They came face to face with Jesus Christ, just like Paul on that road to Damascus, and it changed their life. They're forever changed because they met Jesus Christ, and he changed everything, transformed them from person that was 
totally defeated to somebody now living in victory. God wants us to obey with our whole heart, too. God's not interested in just being a renter in our house. He wants it all. The Bible tells us the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We can't live with one foot in the world and one foot with God and be, make a difference. We're not going to walk in true faith if we're straddling the fence. The first ingredient here is obedience. The second ingredient today to faith is to wait. Faith involves waiting. Look at verse 9 and 10 there, chapter 11. It said, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents. I want you to notice the word tents. With Isaac and Jacob, the, the heirs with him in the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. There's two thoughts here. The idea of waiting, I believe, we can kind of hang it on the fact of the fact that he talked about tents and he talked about God. What do tents what, what tents represent? What is the illustration we get out of tents? The fact that Abraham arrived in this brand new nation, this brand new promised land, Canaan, and didn't immediately begin building all kinds of buildings, building bigger houses and buying things and getting encumbered in the world. He lived, listen very carefully, as a pilgrim and a sojourner and a nomad in the land of Canaan. He lived with temporary roots. He didn't put things that are going to encumber his faith to get in the way of him worshiping God. Verse 16, drop down for a minute. It says this, but, but, but now they desire better and, and, and that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God prepared a city for them. They saw something in the far off. It was God. They were holding out. They were living down here in a temporary home, which they knew was temporary, for their more permanent home up there. They had something to look forward to. We need to remember, all of us, that this world is not our home. We need to wait upon the Lord. God has prepared a city for them. God prepared a city for you and I. We need to set our affections on God. That's what we do when we wait. Psalms 46, be still and know that I am God. How much time in the Christmas season in the past can you remember just taking time and being still? It's tough to do. I know that. We struggle with it at our house. Just being still. Being still and thinking about God Almighty. Think about what God has for me this season, what God wants to teach me, what God wants to show me about the Christmas season, about Jesus Christ and the coming of God to earth. You know, well, how do we handle this in-between time? I'm living down here in a temporary residence. I'm just passing through. I'm going someday to my permanent home. Well, how do I deal with it? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John, 1 John 3, 2. It says this, Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I love that verse. Beloved, now are we the children of God. That means that we're, we're God's children. We're living down here as pilgrims and sojourners. But one day, that day, someday, we're going home. We're going to see Jesus Christ as he is. We're going to be with him. We have this whole experience here that I can know right now where I'm at. I'm living down here on this earth. But I'm focused on things above. I'm heading home one day. You know, you can hurt me. You can do all kinds of things in this world. But, you know, it doesn't really matter because it's just temporary. I'm going home someday. Many of you maybe travel for Thanksgiving. I think we've got some folks out today that travel away for Thanksgiving. That's exciting to be going home to parents' home or to grandparents' home. Or maybe people came to your home, too, to be with you. It's exciting to go home. The idea in our life that we're going home someday. We can be excited about that. No matter what comes our way, we can be excited because, you know, I'm just temporary here. I'm just passing through. 
We need to come to a point in our life when we're waiting on the Lord. Remember, what, remember Isaiah 40, 31? Those that wait upon the Lord. Think about that. I want you to think about, this, think about the setting of that verse. Israel had backslidden big time. Israel had turned their eyes away from God. Isaiah was proclaiming, repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was trying to reach the nation of Israel on behalf of God Almighty. He just couldn't reach them. They were unreachable. He, God even told Isaiah when he started his ministry, listen, they got eyes, but they're not going to comprehend. They got ears, and they won't perceive. God was telling them, listen, you're going to have a hard time. He did. Jeremiah had the same problem in his ministry. They called him the weeping prophet because it was just so sad and so sorry. They didn't want to hear. But here God gives the nation of Israel, gives America, gives you and I a promise here. Those that wait upon the Lord, those that hope in the Lord, those that have certainty in the Lord, that have faith in God Almighty, will rise up like winds with wings like eagle. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's given you and I a promise here. Listen, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard it is out there, and I, saw, and I know some folks in our church that are going through some hard times. They've been through hard times. Dealing with health issues, age issues, all kinds of things in life. But God's saying, just wait on me. Have hope on me. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 2 says this. He says, not that I've already attained or already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. You know what Paul's saying here? He says, I want to live my life with no mistakes. I want to know exactly why God laid hold of me so I can lay hold of that. I want to make sure I understand what God saved me so I can realize why I'm still here. What's my purpose? Ran into a young man this last week that had been in a horrible accident. And he was sharing with me, realizing that yeah, I know why I'm here now. That God, God saved me because I'm here for a purpose. I say, what is your purpose? Well, I think it's probably just to be a better person. Well, that's part of it. We're all here for a very specific divine purpose. When we begin thinking about God Almighty and realize that he has this incredible plan for me, we can see greater things day by day. It exercises our faith when we wait on him. Think about Jesus pointing people home, that upper room that day, that night, night before he was crucified. Sat with those apostles there in that room, and he had a fervent desire, it says, to spend that time with them observing the Passover meal, but having that last supper. He looked at those men that night. He could tell they were anxious because he told them, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to die. He told them point blank, I'm going to die. But he says the church will be raised up in three days. They didn't get it. They were nervous. So Jesus Christ let, said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you myself. Jesus Christ was pointing to those apostles. He knew what those apostles were going to go through. They were all martyred except for John. But he, loved, he lived a very brutal life too. But he wanted them to realize, hey, it's just temporary. I want you just to wait. Trust in me because you're going home someday. I'm going personally to prepare a place for you. The final demonstration of faith. We can demonstrate our faith, first of all, by obeying, second of all, by waiting, and finally, by sacrificing. Talks about that in verse 17 through 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. We know the story. God told Abraham to take, your, take Isaac to that mountain and sacrifice him. You know what Abraham did? He obeyed. This was, it says right there in the scripture later on. This was Abraham's only begotten son, that God gave him that son. He was also the promise for the covenant that God had made with Isaac, with Abraham. God had this incredible plan. 
He had a plan to see if Abraham's heart was right. Is my heart right? You know, a lot of times when we think about sacrificing, we are happy to sacrifice leftovers. We're happy to sacrifice things that don't mean a whole lot. You know what God asked Abraham to do? God asked Abraham to give back to him the most important thing that Abraham had, his son. The question for you and I today in thinking about sacrifice, is there something in your life that you're not willing to give to God? Think about it. Is there something in your life that you're not willing to give to God? One of the stories sometimes we have a little hard time understanding is the story of the rich young ruler. Remember, he came to Jesus Christ and said, what must I do to be saved and to have eternal life? Jesus Christ, first of all, said, well, you need to follow the commandments. And so he kind of puffed up a little bit. Yeah, I do a pretty good job with that. He said, well, the other thing you need to do is go home and sell everything and then come back and follow me. Jesus knew that this young man had a problem with possessions. He knew that he was going to have a time Well, that young, rich, young ruler left. He couldn't do that. Man, do you not realize how much stuff I have and how much money I have? you want me to give it all up to follow you? Listen very carefully. God was not concerned about the money. He didn't care about his money. He didn't need his money. You know what God was interested in? His heart. God wanted to see the heart of this young man. Do you love me enough that you'd be willing to give everything up? People sometimes have twisted this and kind of tried to figure out, well, does God want me to give up everything? I don't know. But the question for you and I, would I be willing to for God? Is God that important enough in my life that I'd be willing to give it all up? Sacrifice. There are so many stories that I could have shared here in conclusion that I want to share one right now. I've been, I've been studying for years, but kind of just got an interest back in Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many of you have studied him a little bit or know well of him, but he's a German pastor that lived during the World War II time frame. But this German pastor had the faith to courageously stand against Hitler and the Nazis, even to the point of causing his death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in 1906. He was educated with a Ph.D. at uh, Berlin University. Berlin University at that time was the most prestigious theological university in the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had his theology down. He knew the Bible. He felt like he knew Jesus Christ, too. He had the opportunity to travel to the United States twice, and he could have stayed here both times. The first trip, he was invited to an African-American church. He was studying in a university here. It's, it's a Union Theological Seminary in New York City. But he's invited by an African-American friend to go to an African-American church. It happened to be the largest church in America. It was in Brooklyn, New York. He went there one Sunday morning. He was excited to see what it was all about. He wanted to see American worship and understand worship. Going to that African-American church that day changed Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life. As educated as he was, as thoroughly grounded as he was in God's Word and understanding God's Word, it changed his life. It changed him because he saw real worship. He saw these people worshiping. He'd never seen it before. He'd been in his churches, and they sung hymns, and they had messages. But he said there was fire burning in that worship. He says there was fire burning in those messages. There was fire burning from that pastor there. He realized that there's something different about this place. 
And he realized that most of these people didn't have a whole lot of money. He came from a very wealthy family, Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. Could have done anything he wanted to do. Could have gone to any university because his parents could pay for it. Most of the people in that church weren't that well dressed. But they had something that he did not have with all his knowledge. They had faith. They had faith like he'd never seen before. And he realized that, hey, this faith changed his life. He realized that these people had a faith that there was action connected to. It was demonstrated merely in their worship, but then talking to him, he became a Sunday school teacher in that church while he was going to seminary in New York. He became a Sunday school teacher there. He realized what's happening in his church, I want it. You know what he did? He got it. He realized that my faith is worthless. It's dead without works. A man highly educated. You know, we can be educated all day long. We can know the Bible. There's people in church that know the Bible better than I do. We can know the Bible all day long. But until we actually let our belief become action in our life, it doesn't mean a whole lot. You might as well know everything about George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. God has got this incredible life for you and I. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's second trip to the United States. He came because he didn't feel like he could be any use. They were closing down all the schools. They closed down his small seminary store there in Germany. Adolf Hitler did not want Christianity in Nazi Germany. He didn't want anybody selling a doctrine that didn't support him fully. So he realized I can't make much of a difference, so he got invited to come teach to a college back in America here today. On his trip over on a boat, this is just prior, it's 1939, just prior to Germany declaring war. On his way over on those high seas, he began questioning God, God, I don't know if I'm following your will coming back to America. He had every opportunity to come to America and stay throughout the war, stay forever if he wanted to, teaching at university or teaching at university someday go back when the war's over. He came to America. In less than 26 days, he changed his mind and went back to Germany. He began preaching and teaching in small groups. He began teaching and equipping people to pray and stand firm in their faith in, their, in the days of hard times. He returned to Germany to serve God's purpose. On April 9th, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by hanging, and his body was burned by direct order of Adolf Hitler. That's how bothered he was that there was a Christian pastor preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This happened less than four weeks before the end of the war. He got that close to the end of the war. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, before he died, made this comment to a couple of people in the POW camp he was in, concentration camp. He said, the God of the Jews has called me to serve the Jews, even if it costs me my life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed to obey God even to the death is the only way to live. Be willing to give it all to God, to have that kind of faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a number of books. We studied them in our men's group. One of them was The Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer made this comment. He said, when Christ calls a man, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. The only way that we can live our life to bring glory to God truly is to die to ourselves, to get out of the way. Most of us won't have to give our life physically for the cause of Christ. 
But God wants us to give him everything, to, to die this world. Be willing to leave Ur where Abraham was when God called him out. Be willing to give anything and everything that God wants us to give. Somebody that's sold out in their faith begins looking for open doors. God says, I'm going to open doors and nobody can close them. I'm going to close doors and nobody can open them. When you're walking in your faith, when you're obeying and you're waiting and you're sacrificing, you know what you're doing? You're looking for those open doors that I can walk through. My heartbeat for our church, I believe it's your heartbeat too because you're here today, that God would use every one of us beyond our abilities. I'm not interested in seeing what I can do. I want to see what God might do through my life. I believe you're the same way. I want God to take this life and do something that makes a difference for eternity. There's only two things that are going to last forever. People's souls and God's word. I want to base my life on those two things. I want to one day go to heaven, but before I do that, I want to see how many people I can take with me. I think that's how we should all be. That God wants to use us to change this world. Some people, unfortunately, I talk to feel like it's just too far gone. Never say never with God. I believe God wants to send revival to America. Why? Just because He can. Why not let that revival start here with you and I? And let God take us and begin being used by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in other people's lives.